Great. Uh, well, I, I wanted to start the evening um, by applying Matthew chapter 18, which is uh, when confronting a brother who has wronged you, you need to reconcile and you go to them one on one. And I was at the airport, LAX, getting ready to catch a flight to Uganda. Um, I, I think it was last week, was it? Yeah. Friday, got back Wednesday. Um, and, and I was there in the airport and I get a call from a guy named um, uh, Jeff and uh, Jeff Frankenfield. And I had met Jeff in Santa Barbara when I was doing the Believer's Edge. And it was, it was uh, made known to me that two of the folks present were con- uh, considering running for office. Actually, one was running and the other was considering, and I got them mixed up in my mind. And um, when I started to do the question about... Um, do you know the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution? How many amendments are there? Uh, the one I'd asked was the one who, who was on his phone and had walked out. And I, I uh, put that out on both of the candidates. And bless Jeff's heart, he called me. He said, Rob, um, I so enjoyed. He was really like complimentary. He said, I so enjoyed the presentation. I was moved by it. But he said, I want you to know something. Uh, I know the seven articles of the U.S. Constitution, and I know the 27 amendments. And I wanted to read this to you because it was so sweet what he wrote. And I said, I said uh, first of all, he's been listening online to all of our presentations and a number of people in Santa Barbara. Are. So first of all, if you're in Santa Barbara and you hear this, vote for this guy if he decides to run for office because he's impressive. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for taking my call today, for f- spending a few minutes to catch up regarding the American Legacy series. I won't go through the whole thing, but I do want to read this to you. He says, I'm very grateful uh, that you are teaching on this subject and was incredibly blessed and energized by your message in Santa Barbara to Believer's Edge. Uh, The message is something I believe in wholeheartedly. In fact, uh, knowing at some point I was going to be called to enter the political arena during Thanksgiving break two years ago, I printed out the Declaration of Independence along with the Constitution and Bill of Rights amendments and read the documents from beginning to end specifically because I felt it was job number one of a politician to base their actions within the confines of the Constitution. Also, I felt I could not decide where I truly stood politically on issues until I understood how our government, federal, state, local, were designed to interact with one another. Since then, I've gone back to the documents from time to time as I try to track the legality of what our politicians are doing. I've also been carrying a copy around with me in my briefcase as it makes good reading on the plane once in a while. I certainly don't claim to be an expert, but I think I have a decent familiarity of what these documents include and what they do not include. And I just wanted to say thank you to Jeff and I apologize and vote for him. There you go. All right. Now, uh, last night we had an interesting evening, and uh, we'll go into uh, what we're going to be covering in the Constitution this evening, but I wanted to kind of prepare you with what occurred last night. Last night was Tuesday night, and we had a city council meeting. And uh, the city council meeting was portrayed in the newspaper as uh, the city council and uh, the, the city itself was trying to mess with Measure E, which was passed in the late 90s, to control the growth of the city. And we were trying to figure out how to get more units to develop the city and on and on and on. And um, I, I've, I've read in the entirety Measure E. I went through everything that they had given us in preparation for the meeting. And as I was reading all the documentation, all the things that were put in front of us, and I wasn't even a citizen of Thousand Oaks uh, when Measure E was passed, just to let you know that. Um, 
I, I know that uh, Andy Fox was the author of it. He still is on the council. He's, he may be, if he runs again for re-election, he'll be the longest-serving city council member in the history of the city. And so he's the one who wrote it, and I sit next to him in the dais, um, and I knew that this was going to be an interesting evening. And there were, I think, like 30 speakers, three minutes each. So, yeah, it was a long meeting, uh, including the public comments at the beginning. And, and I, we all love... Thousand Oaks, we don't want it to be the valley, right? If you, if you do, you're in the minority. Um, and we've got this, this beautiful open space ring that encompasses the city and uh, the majestic views. And we're all struggling with the traffic, yes? All hate it. And, um, and, and as I was sitting there, I knew that this was going to be a contentious issue, and I'm just kind of hunkering down. And I'm the Clarence Thomas of the... Um, city council. And if you don't have any idea what I'm alluding to, I'm not black. Um, what I'm, what I'm, my point is Clarence Thomas never speaks uh, seldom when he's um, uh, in the Supreme Court. I think they've heard him speak once or twice. I just don't see a point because every question I am considering asking, I know that Al Adam will ask that question. Al loves to talk. Uh, and and I know he'll do that. And then Joel will ask questions. And I know that Claudia will. And I know that Andy will. And as the low man on the totem pole and the rookie, I believe my, my role is to listen. Now, there'll be times that I'll ask questions. There'll be times where I'll make comments. But they're seldom and few. And, and also, it, it seems that any time I do make a comment, um, it, it's taken out of context and put in the paper. So I... <laughs> So I didn't, I, I, the only thing I said last night that I was really impressed, uh, I'd made a comment that um, uh, Dr. Connolly, Betsy Connolly was there, and school member Phelps was there, and they both had wanted uh, the increase in the housing because the enrollment in the school district is, is declining, and I made that comment. I still got dinged. Like, this is the only comment that McCoy made for that. Just, I don't, you can't win either way. So in the course of it, um, a contentious issue, and here we are in, in government, local government, I received a number of emails and a number of phone calls. And some of the phone calls were, you know, all of them were pleasant. Nobody was cantankerous or, or curmudgeon or anything of that, that nature. Very civil. Uh, a few folks reminded me that, you know, this is a, uh, a city that is not interested in, in heavy growth. Uh, we don't want heavy density. Uh, we're tired of the traffic. And remember that that's why we voted you in. Uh, and my response is always, uh, I, I, I'm going to rule in accordance with uh, the Constitution and what's in front of me. And to the best of my ability, and the last thing, and I will tell you this wholeheartedly, the last thing I'm concerned with is re-election. Um, I, I was appointed, or not appointed, I was elected to this position because people feel as though the decisions I make and the way that I view things and the way I operate is, is such. And, and I have to do that. I have to operate by my conscience. But public comments and insights and the things that people share are very, very helpful for the council to come to, to a decision. And, and as we looked at it, it ended up not being such a, a really big thing that night because the presentation of the city was basically looking at the general plan and then it, the, the number had never been done. And for the first time in the 20 plus years that the measure had been passed, this is the number. Now, all we, all we said was, well, it's the number. Now, what are we going to do with that number? 
And with 5,400 units um, and 2.4 is what they kind of work it out to be per door you know, unit, uh, that increases the population substantially and we're already massive traffic. And one person had asked me, you know, all that traffic in the city. And my comment to them was the, the, um, the work that's been done, especially at the county levels, we're watching the gross domestic production of the county decrease. And, and one of the reasons why we have such heavy traffic on the 101, and people don't understand this, is that people who hold hourly jobs in our, our valley, in the Conejo Valley, are all commuting from places they can afford to live. That's the traffic. And those that live here leave to go work outside the city. And those that do the hourly work come to work in the city. And so we have massive traffic in relation to that. What is amazing to me is nowhere in our paper is anything being said about what's going to happen November 1st. November 1st, $5.2 billion annually in taxes have just been levied on the, Amer- on the California people. 12 cents a gallon increase in your gases uh, on November 1st. And if you drive diesel, it's 20 cents. And you're going to get a $25 charge on your registration fee, just willy-nilly. And if by 2020 you aren't emission-free in the vehicle you're driving, you get, a, I think, $125 or $150 assessment onto your registration. And, and the comment was made, and I shared this before, SB1 is what they called it. And we have Travis Allen, who is going to be running for governor against um, whoever the Democrat uh, person will be. And, and he is uh, fighting this, and he's going forward with a lawsuit in relation to it. And I know Travis, and he's a go-getter. But think about this. If we have 130,000 citizens in the city of Thousand Oaks, and let's just say we divide that by two, one car per family. How's that? Fair enough? Good with that? So what is that, 65,000 cars? So 65,000 cars, uh, 10, 10 gallons in a tank, maybe 12. And then you just get a little calculator and how many times a week do you fill that up? I just roughly guesstimated, just sitting with a calculator, it was about $50 million annually that's going to be taken from the citizens of Thousand Oaks. $50 million taken out by SB1. And there, the comment was made by one of the council members that we can now afford to keep up the paving of our streets because of SB1, because we had a budget shortfall of a couple million dollars, and because of SB1 now, we can meet that shortfall. Well, so the state gives us back about four to five million, and they took 50. Anybody have a problem with that? If one does, okay. I'm assuming the giggles are in agreement with that. And what's happening is the state is taking more and more authority. And one of the reasons why we looked at these 5,400 units is the state is going to demand of the city that we will be required to build a certain amount of housing for the state's housing shortage. They're going to require that. They're going to force the cities, even though we have planning and general plans and we have, uh, for example, uh, one of the things, if you live in a certain neighborhood and you've got what they call uh, these uh, drug rehab houses, and it's, it's a, quite a, a big industry in California. So you go and you buy kind of one of these McMansions in a nice part of town, 
And, uh, and then you, you get some of these folks that are going through uh, drug rehabilitation and they move into your, into your community and they pay an enormous amount to be in this, this place, $6,000 per person. So that person is making a mortgage payment and making profit while your neighborhood is inundated with folks that are going through major crisis in their life and they've put a drug rehab center right in your neighborhood, even though our zoning says it's not allowed, the state overrides that. Do you see that this is not what the intention of the founders were? And do you see how as, as the state becomes stronger, the individual becomes weaker? Uh, a nation that's big enough to give you everything you want is big enough to take everything you have. And so here we are, how do we resolve these things and to work through it? Well, the first thing is the education of the populace. And um, I was asked, uh, it was interesting, I, I was, the mayor, uh, Mayor Bill de la Pena, Claudia, she, she had put out the invitation uh, for the council members to join her for a mock city council for fifth graders from the Conejo Elementary. I thought, what a cool idea, because this is something I want to do when I become mayor, but I want to do it with high schoolers in each of the high schools. And I thought, what a really cool idea. She's kind of preempted me. I was a little bummed by that, but that's okay. And she has connections with the Conejo Valley Unified School District and the administration. And, and they put this together, um, and it was for Monday. And so Monday's my day off, and I thought, I can help Claudia. You know, I'll, I'll do it. Well, she called me Sunday night, actually texted me. She said, Rob, I'm so sick. Will you please run it for me? <laughs> And I, and I said, you know, Claudia, I would love to. And bless her heart, she was there last night. And, you know, and I brought her some honey, and she had had some tea, and she survived the night, and she did a great job. But I said, absolutely, Claudia, I'll do it. So this is how the, the morning went. Kids all came, and I wanted to walk through and introduce myself to every single one of the kids. I think I got through to most of them, almost 100 kids. It was fascinating. And they had three rounds of a city council meeting. And what they did is, if you see the dais, there's seats for the five council members. So you have the mayor and then the four council members. And then you have the city manager and the city attorney. So that's seven seats on the dais, right? Got that? And so what they did to incorporate the kids so they all had a role is uh, they would do three segments. And so there'd be three mayors. And then they would give the rest of the seats to council members. So there were six council members and one mayor. And then they assigned to the other children that they'd be public speakers. And then the ones that didn't get a chance to be either the council member or the mayor or a public speaker were part of the audience. And the way that they engaged them is that the mayor would say, can we get a vote of the people? How many want this? Please raise your hand. And how many want this? Please raise your hand. And it was a, it was a very interesting thing. And, one of, and the issues, too. And they'd written out the scripts, so the kids just read the script. And... Um, and I thought it was kind of fascinating because the issues were all things that ideologically I'm not really in favor of. <laughs> but, but I was thrilled that they were doing it. So uh, one of the things is they proposed to the children, do you want to have diesel buses? Do you want to buy diesel buses, which are the cheapest, or natural gas buses that require less maintenance uh, or a little cleaner um, or do you want to get electric buses that are completely emission-free, more expensive, but way better on the environment? Uh, and, of course, 
the vote was such that they would vote for the electric buses. And then, um, you know, do you want to do a pizza parlor or low income housing with a pool? And, uh, and the kids were like pizza parlor. Well, we were going to get the low income housing. Uh, and, 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 and they did this and I'm watching the children and I opened up and I greeted them and I said, okay, you're going to get a chance to participate in government. And I said, first of all, I'm so blessed you're here because government of the people, by the people, for the people, it operates by the consent of the governed. And I said, and I, I have something here, and I brought out, you guys remember the, the Civil War kepi that I showed you? And I showed the picture of the lady and talked about it. And I said, uh, four score and seven years ago, our forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. And folks have fought for you to have the ability to participate in, in the consent of the governed. And you're here doing it. I'm so proud of all you kids. And I said, and, and what's going to happen is the 130,000 people of Thousand Oaks have elected council members to represent them. And when they make a decision, that decision affects 130,000 people in Thousand Oaks. And, and they're the ones who are going to make those decisions. And the public speakers that come out and the ones that speak, they have an enormous influence on the decision that these folks make because they get a chance to hear from the public. And seldom does the public participate in, in these. People just don't come to council meetings. Last night they did, but most of the time you could light a bomb off and nobody would be heard. There's nobody there. And by the end of the meeting, there's nobody. Nobody. So I said this to them, and they started to grasp it. And, and one of the things is the, the young girl, at the end, I, I answered questions, and she said, will you build more pools if you become mayor? Because one of the jokes was the three kids that were mayor, I said, you guys are going to be mayor before I am because I'm going to be mayor pro tem, then mayor, and it's going to be two years, and you get to do it now, you'll be mayor before me, and they all laughed. And she said, when you become mayor, will you build more pools? I said, you know, I was a, I was a swimmer and a water polo player in high school and college. I love pools. But the amazing thing is, I said, does anyone know... Um, uh, tell me a really good video game that you guys like. And they, they commented on a, a war game. Anyone? A Call of Duty. Call of Duty. And I said, what does that cost? And one of the kids said, $57. <laughs> they knew it. I said, do you have $57? Right? No, but my dad does. I'm trying to get him to buy it for me. I said, that's a second party purchase. Do you remember this? I said, if it was your own money, you'd have to work a long time, and you don't, you're not even going to have to get a job, and that'd be a lot of babysitting and lawn mowing. To get, and, but with your dad's money, you know, it's really cool. But the way government works is we buy stuff for other people with other people's money. And if I want to build pools for everybody, we're limited because we have to be very cautious because if we spend more money than we take in, we increase the taxes, which takes away your ability to buy Call of Duty. But what so blessed me about it is at the conclusion of it, uh, one of the city folks came up and said, Rob, you're really good at this, and you interacted with the kids so well. And I said, you know, my desire is I want to do it with the high schoolers. And I want to do it both in Teo High School, Newberry Park, and Westlake. And, and she said, when I worked in Santa Barbara, we'd already put the program together. And Rob, I'll help you do it, and we'll get this done. Now, one of the things that at the end of our sessions together that is, is a constant, and everywhere I go to speak is a constant, and it's, it's understandable, and please, I, I feel as though at times I've been a little bit uh, gruff, and I apologize. And it's one of those things where, you know, you hear the same question over, you get maybe tired of it. I, I, 
I was at a, uh, um, a 60th birthday party that I was invited to, and I'm with a person who's now left the state. They were an emergency room doctor, and they still have property here, but they don't want to pay state taxes, so they live here five months and 29 days. And they said, I feel like I've given up on the state. And I said, you haven't given up on the state. You just, you know, in the, in the book of Samuel, it said that when, when David had left the kingdom, he went to the cave of Adullam, and everyone who was distressed, indebted, and, and discontented gathered to him. There were 400 people, and they ended up becoming the leadership of all of Israel later. I said, you're just distressed, indebted, and discontented, and you've left. And I said, you, you have a responsibility to your family. You want to make the best of everything, and it's, it's hard to make that work. And that's 13% income tax in the state of California, plus with what happens November 1st. I mean, we lead the nation in taxes and lead the nation in debt. I get it. He said, but I don't want to give up. I don't want to give up on the state. And I said, you know, one of the questions that we got, and I get this continually, is how do we get the kids to learn this? Because the schools won't teach it. And I get this question everywhere I go. So if you've asked it and I was not very nice to you, please forgive me. My point to this man is, you're an emergency room doctor. You are faced with an enormous amount of problems when a patient comes in. And you have to figure out ways to save this patient's life. And you've got to be creative and you've got to be innovative. You've got to be quick. And, and you can't take no for an answer. And you're not going to just say, well, the patient's going to die. You're going to fight for the life of that individual. And I said, that's what we need to do as citizens. If there's a roadblock, figure out a way around it. Come up with an idea. Come up with a solution. If you give me five minutes, I will give you a thousand things that are wrong with the state of California. And I, I can outdo you because I've, I've been doing this a while and I've heard them all. And I can outdo you and I can outdo you with the problems in the nation. But what I want to look for and what I want to inspire in you is solutions. And I told him, I said, he goes, why can't we teach? He said the same thing. Why can't we teach civics to the kids? We can't get in the school districts. I said, how about this? We do a three-month class outside the school that's graded. All of the folks are invited. And if the kids come and they go through the entirety of it, they get a certificate. And the top 10 get a $1,000 scholarship. He said, that's fascinating. He said, I'll write the check. Now, he goes, when are we doing this? I go, wait a minute. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the vision guy, not the minutia. But that's the way we have to think. You know what the problems are. Start being creative. It's our community. What do we need to do and how do we need to do it? It doesn't solve the problem by simply expressing the problem. We have to be men and women of solution. Now, we come tonight as we're starting to understand the magnificence of our government. And, and we're going to have some fun tonight as we go through this. Because as we get to know this, we start to realize what a fascinating framework we've been given that if we are educated, it really works. And it's worked for 241 years. Yes? And I kind of like living here. Anybody else? I told people the only reason why California is not Detroit is because it's so beautiful. I mean, we're doing everything we can to hold on to stay here. And, and, and last night, one of the calls I got is, let's, let's say that you own property. Uh, or no, let's say a great-grandfather came here and purchased property 
years and years and years ago, even before the city was incorporated. And that property was zoned for residential. And uh, this great-grandfather had forgotten that he had purchased it. He ends up going through senility, lives a long time, 104, and kind of disconnected from his family, passes away, and that title deed goes to the closest relative. The relative gets it and goes, where's Thousand Oaks? And they now have this title deed to a piece of property, and they come to Thousand Oaks, and they realize, hey, here it is. Well, nobody's developed on it, and we don't have any more building units, and so basically your property's worthless, but you can give it to us, and we'll make it open space. Now, where does that fit in the U.S. Constitution? Well, it's a violation of the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendment. You're taking somebody's property. You're devaluing it. Now, we want open space, but we have constraints. We have requirements by the Constitution that we've been given. Now, we can bypass the Constitution and make up our own rules, which seems to be happening. Remember the Toe of David? If it's not protected, that statue can be destroyed. Well, so can the Constitution. And everybody wants open space and everyone wants low density. Understood. But also as a community, we have to sit and listen. Some of the younger people that can't live here. Our millennials have to leave and we've been hearing about this. Well, let them start somewhere else. This is, this is one of the greatest places to be older and retire. We have the oldest, we, we have the, the uh, highest age average of any city in Ventura County. We're having a great time. <laughs> and, and so how does the city stay alive? How do we keep it operating? How do we deal with traffic? We have to look at these things. But as a city trying to do that with the mandates from the state and also the county and all the things, this is why it's so important you participate. And when the people sat through the, the study last night, it, it's almost as though the entire room changed its understanding and started to say, okay, how do we view the future? How do we prepare for what the state wants to do? What are we going to do as a city? What's this downtown redevelopment? What's the purpose? If the people can work there, shop there, will it reduce the traffic as opposed to people having to leave and people having to commute in? These are all things that take place in government, right? And so this is the fascinating thing about what we're learning. And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to continue our study of the Constitution, but one of the things I wanted to point out is that the Declaration of Independence that we've studied briefly, and, and I'm not going to belabor it and go through it because we're going to be referring to it um, piece by piece as we continue through our study, but the Declaration of Independence gave rise to constitutionalism. So you remember that it was, it was the, the material cause was the land and the people, right? And, and the... the, uh, the that's the material cause. The efficiency cause was the founders. And then the formal cause was the Constitution. But the final cause, the inspiration, was the Declaration of Independence. That is our mission statement. And now we come into constitutionalism, which is our bylaws and how we operate. And it covers a broad number of things in the Constitution. And we covered a few of those. Does anyone remember the first four? The first four articles? Yes? power of the states. Well done. Now, the fifth article, we're not going to cover tonight. I'll just point it out to you. The fifth article is one that everyone's excited about because it's, it's, it's how you do amendments. 
And they think that if we can get two-thirds of the state legislatures to get together, we can amend the Constitution. And one of the fascinating things is in the Bill of Rights, uh, I'm going to show you how somebody, and he was a, uh, a student in a, in a, I think, a history class in Texas, uh, got a C on his paper because he said that um, this, this um, uh, amendment um, can still be ratified and still be placed. And the teacher said it's impossible and gave him, and, and this guy was so upset, he put it to work and he actually had it happen. It was the last one to be added. We'll study that. It's a fascinating story. One man changed the United States Constitution or the Bill of Rights, added an amendment to it. How about that? Okay. So of this, um, as, as we, we see that it depends on a broad number of things, the most important thing, the chief of all the things in constitutionalism uh, that we covered was what? What is the point for those first three articles? What's, what's the point of it? Um, say, say it louder. Separation of powers. Separation of powers. Now, we've, we've done this before. Who's the sovereign? We the, we the people. Now, I'm going to go through this uh, because this is... Now, I'm going to put on my pastor's hat because uh, I get this often uh, of people... Um, contending with some really weird things on, on how to look at the United States government and trying to get the Bible to declare it uh, not biblical. Well, well, let's just put that to rest. This is Genesis. Genesis means beginning. It says, then God said, let us, and that's a, um, a pluralistic word in the Hebrew, which I personally see as the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there we go. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have what? Dominion. Dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over what? All the earth. All the earth. Over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Now, Adam and Eve, and then who were their children? Cain and Abel. And it didn't take long for... Some weird things to happen. We got murder, right? Yeah, Cain killed Abel. And so murder comes in. We're at the first generation, and those people are supposed to have dominion? And it didn't take long for the entire earth to be screwed up. Anyone with me? So he says to have dominion over all the earth. That means that Let's say some of us, uh, let's just, we're in a pluralistic society, so we, we have a myriad of faiths represented in the room tonight, and some, as I've said before, agnostic, which means agnosis without knowledge. I believe there's a God, but I don't really know who it is, so I'm just going to leave it at that. Atheist is, they don't believe in a creator or God, um, and, and we can go through all different types. And so here we have a pluralistic society, but yet we're still, whether we agree with it or not, and as I've said before, uh, it's kind of like saying, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in gravity. It, it, it doesn't matter. Gravity still exists whether you believe in it or you don't. And so does God. Just wanted you to know that. So, so with this idea of having dominion, and, and, and this is the founder's mindset because you see the t- two treatises of government by John Locke and you see what they refer to and where they get most of their insights. This is how they developed it. I, I'm not making this up. You do your own homework. Take a look at it. I'm only laying out an understanding of really American legacy. What is America? Who are we? Where did this come from? So 
with this concept of dominion, it says, then God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it means, in a sense, to organize, orchestrate, govern. 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 Now, I had a question that will be asked later maybe, but it was the question of if we're autonomous and, and we have the consent of the governed by equality, not by capacity, but by dignity, if, if you can only do to me what I give you consent to do, well, if I'm really doing what's right by God, do I really need to give anyone else consent? And that's why Abraham Lincoln said, government is only to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. I'm not omnipresent, though we're created in the image of God. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not omniscient. I can't be all places at all times. If, if it was left to me to build roads, the city would be a mess. Uh, my toolbox consists of the yellow pages and a credit card. I, I, I can't build. And we need folks to do the common defense against enemies, foreign and domestic. So this is that idea of government. It's, it's, we can't be everywhere at all times. And as you saw in the beginning of Genesis, let us, it's relational. We're relational human beings. We live on this earth together. We're, we're, we're drinking the water, breathing the air, living on the dirt, right? I love the story about the three scientists that we don't need God anymore because we figured out the genome of man. We can make him out of dirt. And, and, and they said, okay, well, they told the young scientists, you go and tell God we don't need him anymore. And the young scientists said, we don't need you anymore. We figured out how to make man out of dirt. God said, really? Okay, we'll have a contest. Tomorrow, you're going to build a man out of dirt, and I'm going to build a man out of dirt. And they said, fine. And so they all gather, and everyone gathered. Oh, we're going to get rid of God. And, the, and God says, you're going to go first. And the scientists said, fine, we'll go first. And they go to get dirt, and God goes, wait a minute. Get your own dirt. <laughs> Breathing his air, drinking his water, living on his dirt, Right? So this idea of governance is laid out here, and we can go through the Noahic Covenant, which is a whole other aspect, but I don't want to overdo it. But with this, is this idea of subduing it, and we've covered this, we, we've taken a look at oligarchies and the like, is it a democracy? Two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner, right? <laughs> We're not a democracy, correct? And, and, and Thomas Jefferson, he said, a democracy is nothing more than mob rule where 51% of the people may take away the rights of the other 49. So as our founders looked at it, they said, what do we do with this idea of dominion and, 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 and to subdue and, and to regulate and to have government as we dwell together on this sphere in the cosmos, right? Now, it's earth, if we were Greeks, we'd say, well, are we going to find our governance in Venus, you know, with the loveliest of people or Mars? Are we going to get warriors, right? Jupiter, where the gods existed. It's earth. And we're human beings and we're all created equal. And in that equality, it's through dignity, not through capacity. And so how do we govern on this earth with this mindset? And so I've taken you to this passage and the reason why many times is because in this you see the roles of government and you see the first three articles of the U.S. Constitution. Isaiah 33, 22 says, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. So this is the realm of government. This is the realm of government. And in this statement, who is the sovereign? In this statement, who is the sovereign? God. And he's capable of doing all of this. He holds the heavens in the span of his hand. The sparrow doesn't fall from the sky without his full knowledge. He has every hair in your head numbered. For some of us, that's a lot easier than others. Right? But he gives to man dominion. He wants us to operate in this context of working together. 
subdue, work together, establish government. And so we see these three realms of government, lawgiver, legislature. You see this idea of judge, which is judicial, and then king would be executive. And so they considered this and they laid it out. Let me just make sure I'm staying with my notes because I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, So James Madison said the most important thing of the U.S. Constitution is its structure. How does it become possible for us to have a separation of powers? Because he said that that is the most important thing in the U.S. Constitution, separation of powers. How does it become possible for us to have a separation of powers? How does it become uh, possible? let Let me rephrase it. What grounds are laid in the Constitution for these separation of powers? And how does it become possible for us to set up this system of a separation of powers? Rule of law? What were the grounds for it? Where did we get this idea of a separation of powers? What was the inspiration from it? Look, you see this, our judge, our lawgiver, our king. Now, what was the mission statement? It was the Declaration of Independence. This was the grounds. Let's see if we can find it. This is the beginning of the Constitution, we the people. So we know who the sovereign is, is to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. But look at this. This is the Declaration of Independence. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary, we've covered this, dissolve political bands which can, can, uh, connect them with another to assume among the powers of the earth the separate but equal stations in which the laws of nature, nature's God. So here we have the first of four, and we've covered this, the first of four um, comments of God in the Declaration of Independence, right? And then it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We've covered that. They're endowed by their creator, so there's a title with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. We've covered consent, right? That is the word that started what? Is everybody awake? Yeah. <laughs> what was? What did the word? What? 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 What did consent start? The Revolutionary War. I just wanted to say it louder, but nobody wants to participate. It's participatory government. Oh, and by the way, when the kids raised their hand, when they wanted to give the other kids the opportunity to participate, I said, hey, I'm so glad you guys got to participate. But guess what? The only time you get to vote is at an election. You don't get to vote in a city council meeting. You've already voted, and they're the ones who are going to vote for you now. It's not a democracy. I loved sharing that. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assemble, appealing to who? The supreme judge of the world. So here you see another branch of the government, the supreme judge. This is a judicial side. You see, you see the executive side of it. At these unified colonies, it goes through this. Great Britain ought to be totally dissolved. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it's the right of the people to alter or abolish it. We've covered that to affect their safety and their happiness. And that as free independent states, they have full power to levy war, etc., Uh, And then it says, and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. So there in the Declaration of Independence, you have the separation of powers and the grounds that are laid for the Constitution are all found in the Declaration of Independence. Who was the sovereign when they wrote the Declaration of Independence? King George the 
Okay. I'm asking these questions because seriously, if, if you don't know this stuff, I'm wasting my time. So answer. So he was the king and he was the sovereign. And of these branches of government, judicial, legislative, executive, what did he control? All of them. And that was tyranny to them. Why? No checks and balances. I like that we're all doing it. Let's raise hands. Go ahead. Why was this tyranny? I'm sorry? No consent of the people. What were you going to say? Unlimited power. Back here? God is a sovereign, but that's my wife. She's right, so I, I can't correct her. But remember in Genesis, he gave dominion. Okay, so she's right. Um, dominion. Yes? No checks and balances. No checks and balances. Same thing. What'd you say? No rights, but what would you say right here? No consent. No consent. Wait a minute. Where's consent come from? Why do we need consent? Because the will of the sovereign affects everybody. Say that again? The whim of the sovereign affects The whim of the sovereign affects everyone, but why consent? What do, where does that come from? I'm sorry? Inalienable rights given by? Yeah, but who said he's king? Was he born that way? Yeah, I'm sorry, right here. So the, the comment was free will. Um, and I, I don't want to contend with Calvinists and Arminius, so I'm going to move away from that. But let's, let's do this one. Let's do this one. What does it say in the Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are. So where does consent come from? If we're equal, I can only do to you what I, what I give you consent to do. So the grounds for the Constitution were laid in the Declaration of Independence. This consent is given. And then, as we saw before in the preamble of the Constitution, it begins with, we the people, so we know who the sovereign is. Who is it? We are. Now, the sovereign's the most powerful, right? Hello? That's what a sovereign is. I am in charge. You'll shut up, do as you're told, and like it. And if I want your opinion, I will give it to you. Yes? So here's what's fascinating about what our founders did. Um, and, and Hamilton made a point in the Fed, Federalist Papers. He said that the judiciary, um, in, in the Articles of the Constitution, he said that the judiciary is the least dangerous branch. We're, we're, we're laughing now. We're laughing now. But actually, if we exercise the Constitution, all the legislature has to do is defund the courts. Who do you think he said was the most dangerous? Nope. The legislative. Uh, check this out. I'll show you why. 
How does it become possible for them to set up the system of a separation of powers? Uh, the ground is from the fruit of the seed planted where that was obviously, uh, um, I'll get back to what I was pointing out, but I lost track of my slides. Uh, the fruit of the seed was this idea of equality, all created equal. That's the seed that was in the Declaration of Independence. It gives birth to this idea of the consent of the governed. And now with the consent of the governed, we now have to have a separation of powers. So why did Hamilton make a point in the Federalist Papers that the judiciary is the least dangerous and the legislature is the most dangerous? Why would he say that? Why do you think he'd say that the legislature is the most dangerous? They're in charge of the purse strings. Yeah, they hold the money. They can vote themselves raises. They make the laws. Say it. We're close. How do they have that consent? All right. Do we elect the president of the United States? No. Who does? Do we elect the judicial branch? They're appointed. Who do we elect? And who are we? All right. So they're the closest to our power. And we want them to do our bidding. And they also have the purse strings. He was right. They really are the most dangerous. Now, folks have figured out a way around it, and they've bypassed the Constitution. They haven't applied these things. And there's supposed to be a checks and balance system. And we've got a lot of work to do. And we've got to raise up some folks who understand so they can get back in and start setting it straight. <laughs> We're going to begin with you. Okay. Article 1, legislative. Ten sections that cover the authority of the legislative branch. Now, look at the others. Executive four sections, judicial three sections, states four. The mode of amendment is just a paragraph. Why would they, I mean, if, if you guys, if you're churchgoers and, and we, we do the study of a, a man's role and a woman's role in marriage, a woman, is hers is like real simple. Man's is like, it's like, this guy really needs help, right? Amen. Amen. Boundaries, and they're all outlined very clearly what they can and they cannot do because they are, by Hamilton's understanding, the most dangerous branch of the government. The judiciary was supposed to be the least dangerous. Now today, of course, we're seeing it opposite because we have, we have forgotten the fact that we really, and, and I, I actually had the privilege to sit in a room uh, with three other people and Newt Gingrich. And, and I got to hear him talk for over an hour. I, I've heard him speak on a number of occasions. He's actually spoken in our church. Uh, his wife actually came and, and spoke at our preschool when we had our preschool. And, and his understanding, he was a history teacher, and he speaks extemporaneously with dates, times, facts, figures. That's one of the most amazing brains I've ever come in contact with. He was even aware of the first, second, and third great awakening in America. I was thinking, there's no politician who knows that. He did. Blew me away. But he pointed out, he said, and, and he's the one who did the contract with America, and however you feel about him, and everybody's got all kinds of political ideas, and he's part of the deep state, and I, okay, I'm not interested. We're just covering stuff. We can talk about that later. This, I, I'm interested, but just not tonight. But his point was, the judiciary branch can be defunded by the legislature. And he pointed out three instances in U.S. history where that was done. They just 
they just close the courts. You, you can show up, but we're not going to pay you. And we're not going to pay the rent on the building. So do whatever you want. And you have no authority of the government. We're finished with you. And the judicial branch, with their four sections, excuse me, their three sections, their ability was limited. I'll give you an example in the city of Thousand Oaks. Gosh, I'm running out of time. I'll give you an example in the city of Thousand Oaks. We have a planning commission and we have a city council. Planning commission is appointed. The city council is elected. So I get to appoint a planning commissioner. Interviewed all these people. I picked a planning commissioner. The planning commissioner I picked, his wife uh, needed surgery, so he had to step down. I interviewed others, and I picked another planning commissioner. The planning commissioners, their job is like the judicial branch. They don't legislate from the bench. They only interpret the laws that are in front of them and say, yes, you can or you can't do that when those things are brought to them. And they say, well, this is what the law says. Now, the city council can change the laws. And we hold the purse strings. So we're very dangerous. Yeah, we're the legislature. I have to go through this quicker. Um, okay. We know who the sovereign is. It's us. Why? We are the sovereign because we've been created that way. And we've been told to have dominion. Right? We got that? So what is the final cause of a constitutional republic? The final cause is that the people have the power. You have the power. That's the final cause of the Constitution is to keep the power in the hands of the sovereign. We the people. What is the final cause of of a monarchy or better yet an oligarchy? Let's... Let's think of a monarchy. Um, the final cause of a monarchy would be the oldest son of the richest family of, of uh, the most elite group is the one who is going to be the final cause because when the king dies, he gets it. But not in America. We, the people, are the final cause of the Constitution that we remain the sovereign. Now, if the sovereign is the strongest thing, if the sovereign is the strongest thing, what else is the sovereign? If the sovereign is the strongest thing, what else is the sovereign? The most dangerous. Two wolves, one sheep. What's for dinner? Folks wanted me to rule a certain way last night, and others wanted me to rule a certain way last night. And if they had the opportunity to vote, you know, for every single thing in a democracy, as Jefferson said, 51% of the people, 49% of the people mob rule, turns into an oligarchy. So if the sovereign is the strongest thing, it's also the most dangerous thing. So what did our founders do to protect us from being dangerous? You're answering all the questions tonight, so you get an A, but you have to be quiet. Who else? I'm sorry? They, they, we are the sovereign, but we don't govern. Yes? Checks and balances, which is a division of power, right? 
And we go back to Isaiah 33, 22 with the three, because the king held them all. So we want to still remain the sovereign, but how do we do that? We directly elect the legislature, which is the most dangerous. They hold the purse strings, but we split the power between the judicial and the executive branch. All men are created equal, therefore, They may be governed only by their consent. Therefore, the majority will be the sovereign. Therefore, the majority will be the most dangerous thing. How is the sovereign going to operate in relation to the government? It's real simple. Our founders made a point to keep us from being the ones who run the government. So it's also a check and balance on us. And as we divide the power in these three sections, it's limited to them. At any given time, you have different people doing different parts of government, but we always have the ability to change it and we're still in control. But if we lose the idea that the legislature is the most powerful and they have the ability of the will of the people because we elect them and we don't start holding them accountable like Jeff has prepared himself to run for office, then who is guilty? We are. We've been called to this idea of dominion, but more importantly, that we would, we would rule. And we would rule in a pluralistic society, but we would be within the, the constraints of a constitution that leaves the sovereignty with, with men, and women who, men and women who have been created in the image of God, who have equality and dignity, that we can operate together, but to make sure that absolute power corrupts, to keep that power out of our hands because we can do great damage, right? I mean, in a marriage, those are two people who know each other and hopefully love each other, and you still kind of fight for who holds a checkbook. Okay, two people. In politics, you have opposing ideological ideas and in a lot of cases you don't even like each other and so they're going to have to work and we need to separate that power and so the process is going to be deliberate it's going to be debated it's going to be long it's going to be enduring it avoids operating passionately and and the whim of the people where the kids say i want a pizza parlor instead of right and, and this is the brilliance of what we've been given. And I'm, I'm over, there's seven minutes left. I went long tonight. This is now time for question and answer. Now, let's qualify it. This is not the time for you to bloviate or to dominate. Ask questions, maybe even give solutions, but also realize other people want to ask questions and we're limited on time. So with that being said, who wants to go first? Yes, I would love it if you'd come to a council meeting at least once a month. I would like it if you came, I'll make it simple. I would like it if you would, if you would just come to a council meeting six times a year. I would like you to speak and let the dais hear you. I want you to talk about anything you want, but I want them to hear that you're here and that you exist. I know what you believe. I know what's important to you. I spend time with you as a pastor. Let them know. I would love participation. 
And it would mean the world to my colleagues. They love it. They really would welcome it. We typically have a handful of people that, uh, two of them, I honestly, I've been there going over two years. I don't know what they're saying most of the time they speak. The, the, clarity, the clarity of thought. And, and here's what else I'd like you to do. This, this means the world to my colleagues. Come up and tell them thank you. The people who open with that and extend that, all of a sudden we start to build civility in the community. Participate in school board meetings. Thank you for that. Yes. Next. Yes. Instead of appointed. Yeah. I I think that was an adverse effect. I don't think it was good. I think it's affected what our founders intended. Yeah. It gave more power. Mm -hmm. Was that done through a constitutional amendment? Yeah, 17th Amendment. Rob, have we made that legislative more dangerous by allowing uh, terms over and over and over again? The question is, have we allowed the legislature to get out of control because we've allowed them to go term after term after term after term? Uh, and I've, I think I've shared this with you before, that term limits, there are term limits every election cycle. Just vote them out of office. But, but you're, you're going to vote for the person who's going to give you the most of what you want as opposed to understanding the Constitution and holding these folks accountable. And, and we're going to get who we are. They represent us, and they're going to be like us. Um, when you do term limits, especially in California, what happens is the legislature is no longer running the legislature. It's the folks that are in the office uh, being paid by the state day in and day out. And these are just folks that s- step in, but they have no time to you know, formulate ideas and plans. And so I- I'm not a huge, uh, um, yeah, I'm not in favor of I'm not a huge fan of term limits. I, I, I know mine will be limited. I, I think if, if I, I can serve uh, two more terms, if I can be elected two more full terms, uh, and, and that, I'll be old by then and ready to, you know, I, I'll be tired of it. It's good. But I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that's the case as much as it is people not participating. And I'll add one more thing. Um, we, we have to understand um, where they're getting their money from. And how they get elected. And in time, we're going to cover some ideas about unions. Um, there's public and private unions. One I really like, the other I struggle with. Um, and I'll cover that. And, and why it's adversely affected California with what happened with Gray Davis. So, um, yeah. One of, one of the powerful things we used to have is the fourth branch of government, which was the media. He said one of the most powerful things we used to have was the fourth branch of government, which was the media. I just I want you to read any writing by Horace Greeley. Uh, the media has always been the way it is. It's always been the way it is. The way they treated Lincoln, uh, the way I mean, I'll, it, right? We were just talking about that, Mel. It, it's 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 always been that way. Um, but what's interesting is they separate the powers, and then the very first amendment they give us is the freedom of speech, freedom of the press freedom of religion and the freedom to peaceably assemble for a right of redress of grievances against the government. 
if, if the press is mindful of a constitutional republic and the populace is educated and these po- folks come into this realm of cultural influence and then you've got pulpits that understand it and you've got a public that understands it, that First Amendment being protected allows a moral people to govern a constitutional republic. So, yeah, the, the press could be very effective. Um, I personally think, you know, there's, there's times uh, the editor, Kyle Jory, gets it right. I think he got it completely wrong last night. Um, and I think he, he, he just missed it. But, but there are times where I like some of the things he does. And he does call, you know, what's this junket? Why are you spending money? Where did you go? That's great. Hold them accountable. Uh, why are you spending the city's money doing this? But also go deeper and be investigatory. Be the will of the people. But oftentimes we kind of lose that. And it would be neat if some folks that we could inspire with this idea of coming up with solutions, we could figure out a way to start creating journalists again, not commentators, right? Um, I'll take one more question, and then I want to share with you something. Okay, well, I'll take two more. Right here and here. Go ahead, Tom. So what is the recourse that the other branches have on each other and how can they hold them in check? That is an entire lesson that I'm going to cover later uh, and it would take a lot of time to do now. So I'm not going to answer it right now. <laughs> yes. Are there constitutional issues with this Russia, Russia, Russia thing we're going through? Are there constitutional issues with the Russia, Russia thing that we're going through right now? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Would you like to analyze these? Later? No, I don't. <laughs> I'll tell you one of the main things, I, I really need to shut down Atticus. I'll tell you one of the main things I want to avoid in these evenings. First thing is, I, I wanted to be nonpartisan, because I want everyone in the community to come out and understand our Constitution. Uh, I don't want to overemphasize my pastoral position. Folks w- want to make this a, a church night, and you know, I love the gospel, I preach the gospel, it's my commitment, that's my main calling. And don't, don't think that I'm avoiding that. This is to educate our populace on a gift we've been given so that civility can come back to our community. So be patient with me. And I typically won't jump into those things. Um, but privately, I'll give you all my opinions. All right. Uh, I'll close with this. It's 8 to 1. Next week, I'll be with you. The following week, I will be in Israel. But we're still having class, and I have got a special blessing for you. Constitutional historian, one of the most brilliant men I've ever met, Bill Federer, is coming to share with you. And you will be in for a huge treat. So, yeah, what's that? Invite people. Yeah, invite people. I I mean, if you're tired of me, come for him. That guy's awesome. Again, let me close by saying this. These Wednesday nights are such an enormous inspiration to me personally. Not only as a pastor, but as a city councilman. Uh, Someone who loves not only the state of California, but this country. And who loves this city. And, And I know you guys work hard and you're tired. And you come out week after week. And it's inspiring to me. It helps me become sharper and smarter. And it's doing wonders for our community. And, and, and keep doing it. And let's be men and women of solutions. All right? Let's start dreaming a little bit. Because this is good stuff. Let's get it out there. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.